Luke 13. It's only a few verses. I'm going to start reading at verse 6. It says, I'm reading from the ESV. It says, it says, And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then it, it should bear fruit next year. And that would be well and, and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Um, can I ask you just to keep your finger in Luke 13? What I'll do is the verses that I'm going to refer to, I'll just put them up on the screen. So just keep your nose in Luke 13. Um, can I tell you a quick story? Just before, I say before we get started, it's part of my message. Um, and it's a, story, it's a story about a man who's stranded on a desert island. And he's been there for about seven years. Stranded, so he's all on his own. Not seeing anyone. Then eventually someone comes and rescues him. He sees a boat come over and they jump onto dry land. They're like, what are you doing here? He's like, I've been, I've been stranded here for seven years. And they're like, wow, but you're alive. He's like, yeah, I'm alive. And now hopefully I'm going home. And they're like, okay, how did you survive? Like, where, where were you living? And he says, oh, look, there's my house. And they're like, wow. But wait a minute, we can see other buildings there as well. And they said, what's that building over there? And the man said, oh, he says, he says that's, where, that's where I go to church. And he said, really? He said, yeah. So, so, so what's that other building over there? Kind of like the busted down one. He says, oh, that's where I used to go to church. See, <laughs> <laughs> so this fictional story highlighting this issue of personal dissatisfaction. Not as it relates to another party or someone else. This afternoon I'd like to consider the issue of dissatisfaction, not with others, but with ourselves. When you first became a Christian, you probably had great plans of, you know what I'm saying, of, of doing great and wonderful things and <clears throat> had a great vision for your life. But maybe it hasn't, it hasn't materialised. In fact, it might be the actual opposite. Your life might actually be broken and busted. And your daily cry is, I'm not where I, I know I ought to be. Still struggling with major character defects, outbursts of anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, old traits, old sins. And you constantly come to the Lord about these things in confession, pleading with him to change you, to change me. And especially if you're, if you're married, um, I know that many of the single people that they like they don't like to put, refer to themselves as singles in our church. They're unattached. Um, <laughs> many, many, of, many of them are. They're, they're at a conference right this weekend, right with Pastor Matt. I go to school with, with, with Pastor Matt Cotman over in Enfield, and I'm um, seeing him twice a week, and yeah, he's, he's an incredible brother. So they got they got the conference right. So I suspect probably there are some singles here. And I suspect they're possibly, probably, I don't know, maybe more married people. I don't know. Um, but I say married people because 
When it comes to this issue of change, how many of you know um, marriage really helps you to know that you need to change? <laughs> right? Before you get married, you think that the problem is everyone else. Then you get married. And then you begin to realize that the problem actually is you. And you get to the point where you say, Lord, I try to change. And now marriage is even highlighting. It's like I've got this big spotlight on me. You know them guys running, trying to get away from prison. And they put a big searchlight on me. I can't get away. This just highlights my issues, Lord. And, and then we start saying, saying stuff like, Lord, why did you put up with me? There's this really short distance between discouragement, like, oh, Lord, I'm not what I'm supposed to be. And why did you put up with me, Lord? You begin to hate on yourself. Like, I'm so, faith, I'm, I'm so unfaithful and I'm so inconsistent. And am I even saved? Am I even a Christian? No. I wish I could give you five simple steps um, to solving this problem. I can't. A whole microwave, magic wand, um, 24-hour overnight, wonder-pure stuff. doesn't work. Yet God gives us great insight into a process through which we can be changed. And I want to give you some, hopefully, some crucial principles that will eventually, hopefully, bring about this desired change. Notice verse 6 of our text. It says, He, speaking of Jesus, also spoke this parable. Well, what did Jesus say beforehand that caused him now to also say this? In other words, what's the context? Notice verse 1 through 5. These are the verses prior to our verses, right? Just flip back. It says, there were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. I mean, these worshippers, right, they were being slaughtered by soldiers under Pilate as they were offering up their sacrifices. Mingling their blood with the sacrifice of the blood of their sacrifices. Verse 2, and Jesus answered and said to them, wait a minute. Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than any other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse 4, or though, let's take another example. How about those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them? See, this is current with regards to what was going on then. He says, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, in these verses, as I said, Jesus is commenting on disastrous current events. The first example is suffering at the hands of evil men. The second example, you see that in verse 1, right? The second example is suffering in the wake of a natural disaster. You see that in verse 4. These that had brought this message to Jesus, check it, they suspected that the victims were afflicted on account of their excessive sinfulness. Huh? These things happened to these people because they were terrible sinners, they said. And Jesus responds with a resounding, No! Now this doesn't contradict the principle in Galatians 6 verse 7 that says, Whatsoever a man sows or woman, that shall they also reap. That's still true. 
But what Jesus was correcting here was the notion that only desperately wicked people end up like that. Bad things only happen to bad people. Meaning that bad things don't happen to good people. See, the mindset was that people that do bad get punished. And reciprocally, people who do good never ought to be ill-affected. Now, an example of that is Job chapter 4, verse 7. One of Job's, remember Job's in a real bad dilemma? And his friends, quote-unquote, come along. (laughs) They weren't really that helpful. And one of his stupid friends says, this is what he says, he says to Job, the up, it's like, Job, you're in this state because of your sin. Because the upright never perish. The innocent are never negatively affected. As if terrible circumstances only happen as a result of bad behaviour. Oh Lord, look at... Look at, look at what happened to those Galileans. Whilst in the midst of a religious, religious exercise, you know. Boy, they must, have been, they must have been secret hypocrites. It's like being in church and lightning strike the church and the whole place set on fire. Boom! See, and this, and this perspective, this perspective, it permeated Jewish thinking. Listen to the disciples, like a couple thousand years later, listen to the disciples in John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. How many of you know this man's in a difficult situation? Blind from birth. (coughs) Verse 2, and his disciples, because of their twisted perspective, asked him, saying, Rabbi, mm -mm, who sinned? (laughs) Because somebody must have sinned. You know what I mean? It's like, who sinned? Rabbi, this man or his parents? You've got to put the blame on someone. <laughs> that this man is born blind. And Jesus answered, look, neither. This didn't happen as a direct result of them sinning. See, but the real point is that None of these things compare to what will happen eventually to all sinners. Whether you sin like Hitler or like Lady Diana. You know, some would like to say there's a great big difference between the two. Hey, who said so? Diana, she's a people's princess. Most people thought when she died, she went straight to heaven. It doesn't matter if you sin like Jimmy Savile or you sin like the man who works in TK Maxx around the corner. Sin is sin is sin is sin. They're both sinners. See, and you will eventually have a much more terrible experience than these two examples we see at the beginning of this chapter. Because the eventual fate of all sinners is eternal separation from God in hell. Don't think that because a building didn't collapse on you, that you're any less of a sinner. You think that having a tower fall on you is scary? You think that being run through with a sword is a bad thing? That's nothing compared to what is going to happen if what? If you don't repent. Now you may have had something terrible happen to you. Don't be disheartened. 
Because it's not just ancient Israelites who had this twisted point of view. You might have gone through a really difficult, terrible circumstance and you do sometimes feel like, you know what, this has happened really for a reason and it's either because someone close to me has sinned or, or maybe it's because of my own sin. Maybe it's because I flopped why this is happening. So don't be disheartened. See, you're not a worse sinner than anyone else. And on the other hand, don't get comfortable in the illusion that suggests because nothing has happened to you. Rolled out a bit this morning. I'm saying. Had breakfast, jumped in the car and drove to church or got on a tube and you know, very often we do these things, we don't even thank God for the fact that we're healthy, we're alive, we're able-bodied. You know what I'm saying? My sister this morning has got this horrible cold, and all it takes is something like a cold for you to realise, Lord, you know what, it's, so, it's such a blessing not to have a cold. You know what I'm saying? And don't get comfortable because everything's alright, that you're now not a sinner. You know what I'm saying? Because nothing has happened to you that you're okay. You're not necessarily okay. Hey? If you haven't had a change of heart that leads to a change in how you live, Jesus says, except you repent, you will also perish. Jesus said, don't worry about those who can harm the body. Worry about him who can throw body and soul into the lake. Into the lake of fire burning with brimstone if you don't now very often people ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Wrong question. The question we really ought to be asking is, why do good things happen to bad people? Because the truth is, we're all bad. None of us are good. That might be a revelation to you, I don't know if you know. Romans chapter 3 outlines it really clearly, really helpfully. It's like if you didn't get it the first time, he repeats it. There is none righteous. No. <laughs> Including you. Not one. None of us are good. There's only one who is good, and that is God. Amen. So then the quote, bad things ha happening to so-called good people is a misnomer. The real miracle is that the Lord would allow any good to happen to us. Because we are all so bad, we're all so sinful. These are some of the reasons why we ought to give God thanks and worship Him. So, this is the context of our verses. Right? See, what is the Lord Jesus talking about? He's talking about repentance, he's talking about changing. Changing the way that you think, that results in a change in the way that you act. Change. So you can see that, that God is expecting this change. That doesn't, that doesn't necessarily make us feel any better. We're still like, Lord. Now, we know what we need to do, but the issue is how to go about doing it. Are you in a place where you know that the Lord is wanting to see change in your life? You yourself are wanting to see change in your life. I went into a boutique yesterday, myself and my wife. We took the, the children, foster kids, to contact where they meet with their mum. And we kind of did, we got two hours to kind of spare. And we were just walking around Ballon, I don't know if you know South West London. And we went into this boutique and there was a lady there. And we just got chit-chatting. And um, before you knew it, she was telling us really like her life story. And, and about how her daughter and 
you know, when our children were just living their own nightmare, and it was just really, really difficult. And, and she said that, she, she looked at us and, and she said, are you guys together? And we were like, yeah. I see a wedding ring, you're married, you're like, yeah. And um, she was like, wow. She, and she, she nearly started crying. And I was like, gosh. And then she basically said, my boyfriend and I were together for 20 years and we split up last month. And um, I couldn't help but begin to talk to her about, there's a black lady, right, well, they weren't married, it was a black guy. And we just started talking about the typical attitude of, I mean, it's not just black guys, right? I mean, it's all guys. Don't want no commitment. I'm saying, don't want to put a ring on the finger. They want all the treats and all the fringe benefits, right? It's like a higher car. They want to drive the car, but they don't want to try to buy it. <laughs> they don't want a commitment, you know what I'm saying? And um, so we're just talking about just the need. We're talking about the need for change in, in, in men of the 21st century. Now, this is a bit of a hobby horse. I could jump on this one, my soapbox about men, you know what I mean? But, um,. Fellas, don't we see the need for change? You know what I'm saying? In our lives. Even those of us that are walking with the Lord. You know what I mean? And, um, not only does the Lord, I want to see change in my life. And I'm sure you do too, ladies included. And this relates to you even if you're not a Christian. Now, you may not have made any kind of profession of faith. You may not be a regular church attender. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying you might be a bona fide, like card carrying sinner. Like you was out last night, you got lean, you got drunk, and you're here because your friend invited you, and you just thought, I'm just going to go because you asked me. I don't really want to be here. I don't know. I know that before I got saved, that was me. Church. What? What? Church or football? See, I used to play football on a Sunday morning. Church, football. It wasn't a hard decision. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, um,. You know what I'm saying? You may be here, you're not trying to pretend, yet deep in the recesses of your heart, you want to change. Because you know that, you know what, the gatekeepers of hell are making preparations for your arrival. Be like at the airport, right, running placards with your name on it. You know that you've only got a certain amount of time. You know that, that you're on the end of a rope that one day is going to get tugged. Come on now. Make no bones about it. You're the most important person that Jesus wants to speak to this, this afternoon. But you're not the only one. There are those this afternoon who have made a response to the call of repentance and have trusted in Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for his sins. But you've reached a plateau. You, on the other hand, have been attending church. You've accepted Christ. You've been baptised. You've come to this place of stagnancy and you're stuck in a rut and you feel like you can't get out. The key is repentance. The key is change. And I can hear you silently screaming, but I have repented. And therein lies the frustration. Now we're going to see the theme of repentance continue and develop. Notice, this is a parable. Verse 6 says, he also spoke this parable. It's not a literal story, it's an illustration that points to a greater reality. And apart from the context, it's very difficult, even dangerous to be dogmatic, but this illustration is probably describing Israel 
and its unfaithfulness to God as a nation, but is probably applicable to you and me as individuals. Verse 6, it says, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and found none. Notice, it's a cultivated fig tree. It's not a wild tree. This was planted, selected intentionally for a purpose, and and the purpose was that it would what? That it would be, that it would bear fruit. That it would produce fruit. There was an expectation associated with this tree, right? Can you begin to see how this could easily describe Israel, God's people? Historically, a cultivated people, a an intentionally selected group set apart for God's purpose. Psalm 80, verse 8 through 11 says, You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root and it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its boughs. She sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the river. Isaiah 5 verse 1 to 4 says, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and, and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and he also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes. But it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O oh inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard, what more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? Chapter 5 continues, 5 verse 5 through 7. And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it shall be burned, and break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Jeremiah 2 verse 21. Yet yeah, I planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? That's ancient Israel. But I mean, you know, this could actually describe Israel today in the 21st century. Back to our text. Notice a tree, it's a mature tree. Transplanted into this well-kept vineyard. It lives in a protected environment. In a vineyard. The environment was specifically conducive to providing everything that this tree needed. Can you begin to see how this could also easily describe you and me? Jesus said to his disciples in John 15. Maybe you can help me. You can read it for me. Okay, maybe not. Abide in me, <laughs> verse 4. Abide in me as I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. See how this parable speaks to us? It's a cultivated tree, it's grown, it's a mature tree, it's in a protected vineyard, it's a well-watered tree. Regardless of the climate or the rainfall or the lack of rainfall, it would have been watered at regular intervals, probably in an irrigated location. Regular watering is essential for fig reproduction. John chapter 7 verse 37. You want watering? On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You want irrigating? Verse 39. But this is spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing on him would receive. Not only would it be well watered, it would be pruned. Ouch. <laughs> You're not pinking shears up. <laughs> Sister Angela laughed. Pinking shears. They're, them, they're like scissors, but they are dangerous. They're spring loaded, and if you get your finger caught in there, it's over. They are dang, they cut really thick branches. Pinking shears. They use them for pruning. And when, you, and when you get the plant and you squeeze it between those pinking shears, it mercilessly severs <laughs> that branch. And then you begin to see the branch bleed. Right? Sap, that is, not blood, right? <laughs> and it starts to ooze. Like, you, like you, you look at the plant, you feel sorry for the plant. Like, oh, the plant's mash up now, right? <laughs> but how many of you know that's actually going to benefit the plant? Because that's what pruning does. Pruning provokes growth. It's painful, but it's productive. John 15, verse 1 to 2, Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch. Did you have to say every? What is a sum? A few. A minimal amount. Because then I could have probably escaped in the majority. Just the minority, Lord. No. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, you think he'd let you off. No. He prunes. <laughs> it's like, you can't, what is it? You've got two choices. Fire or pruning. Those are your, cho those are your choices. Every branch. That bears fruit, eat prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. So about you. This plant, it had been, notice, it had been planted, it had been watered, it had been pruned. It had also been fertilized. It's amazing when you consider what has been done for this plant. Four times for the year would not have been uncommon with regards to fertilization. Many fig trees 
bear not just once, but twice a year. That wouldn't have been uncommon. Many fig trees... <clears throat> this fig tree, to some degree, would have been... The expectation on that basis would have been that it would have produced six times in three years, eight times in four years. This tree was provided for. Everything that it needed was supplied, and because much was given, guess what? Much was required. And one day with justified expectation, verse 6, the owner came seeking a fair return on his investment. But there was a problem. No fruit on the tree. How does the owner respond? Verse 7. Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, you know what? For three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree. It wasn't even a one-off. Considering... Considering that verse, that is verse 7, notice two things. The owner had been patient with the tree, right? He gave it time, he gave it opportunity, and he gave it resources. The second thing about verse 7 is the owner recognized the tree. The owner was, was familiar with this particular tree. He knew this tree for three years. I've come seeking fruit on this tree and find none. Therefore, the second half of verse 7, cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? Sorry. You should be awake because it's, it's Sunday afternoon, right? It's Sunday morning, you'll have an excuse. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? Why does it cumber the ground, King James? Naturally speaking, did you know fig trees are greedy? Their roots go way beyond the canopy of the tree. The greedy. <laughs> this greedy tree, eating, taking up all the nourishment. Cut it down! I mean, how's the owner supposed to respond? Get rid of it! Is that an unfair suggestion? Now you might get the impression that the man who owns the field and all the trees must be you. God. And the temptation at this point is to identify or to personalize the owner, the keeper. And you may have cast your mind back to John 15 as we read it, right? Defined as Jesus, defined by Jesus as the Father who is who is what? Who is who? Who's the Father in John 15? Oh, come on now, you guys. Is it that you're nervous? Am I making you nervous? Am I scary? No, I know Pastor, Pastor Anton is much more scary than me. <laughs> Who's the father in John 15? Thank you, the vine dresser or the gardener, right? Who's the son? He's the vine, right? He's divine, he's the vine. And how about the disciples? How are they pictured? The branches. Well, I'm not going to personalize these characters in our parable because Jesus doesn't, unlike John 15. But there are definitely three things that can be identified here. And this is really now the heart of the message. Three things that can be identified here. The first one is truth. The second one is grace. And the third one is time. So first of all, let's talk about truth. It is very true that this tree should have produced some fruit by now. Amen? 
It is very true that everything necessary was provided for this tree in super abundance, over and above that which was needed. It is true that the tree had no excuse for being barren. It is true that the only real alternative to this barrenness was to uproot the tree and discard it. Is it not true that the ground, the moisture, the fertilizer, the nourishment were all being wasted by this tree? Not to mention time, money, energy. This tree was fit for nothing but to be cut down. Is that not true? Adam and Eve in the garden. The penalty for what you've done is death. Slay them with the edge of the sword. Samson for fooling around with Delilah. You know what, Samson? You deserve to be axed. Richard. Cut down. <laughs> King David. For his, is it alright for us to shout in this room? <laughs> King David. For your behaviour with Bathsheba. Absolutely no excuse. You're a king. You deserve to be cut down. Peter, you denied Jesus not once or twice, but thrice, right? What do you deserve? How, 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 could, you, how could you treat your saviour? He's been nothing but good to you, Peter. How could you deny him like that? You deserve nothing other than to be cut down. For what you did, you can put your name in the space provided, right? For what you did last week, you deserve to be cut down. For what I did, possibly even last night, you don't know anything about me. But there's one thing you do know, that I'm a sinner, just like you. And for what I've done, I deserve to be cut down. The wages for sin is what? Is that not true? It's absolutely true. And it's absolutely what we deserve. Those who were slaughtered whilst offering up their sacrifices. Those who had the Tower of Siloam fall on them. Getting caught in an earthquake. Being swept along and drowning in a tsunami. Being crushed in a train accident. That's nothing compared to what we really deserve. If we don't repent, we will all perish. And it's nothing less than that which we all deserve. How many of you know that is the truth? And how many of you know that we need truth? Truth helps us to realize the seriousness of an issue. Truth helps us to realize the seriousness of an attitude or a sin. We need truth. It corrects. It instructs. It, rep it reproves. It rebukes us. But truth on its own is a hard, unmerciful taskmaster. 
justifiably, unequivocally, in the ultimate universal court of justice, condemned by the judge slash executioner, Ten Commandments. This woman caught in act of adultery. What does the Lord decree? Stone her. But then, here comes Jesus. Just in the nick of time. Oh my goodness. He was close shaved for this woman, right? Jesus! With stones in hand. Jesus, Master! What do you have to say? Jesus as well. Looking at the circumstances and the facts. You're right, she deserves death. But which of you is qualified to execute judgment? First of all, let me get back to the what does she deserve in a minute. Which of you is actually qualified to execute this woman? You make it sound like she's a bad person, she deserves it. How about you? Which of you is good? Who among you is without sin? Says Jesus. If you fall into that, let's draw a line. You come on this side, and you fall into that criteria, then you can stone it. What, nobody moved? <laughs> Apart from in that direction. Like walking away, they drop their stones. The eldest first, right, and they begin to... Oh. Maybe none of you are qualified, there must be someone here that's qualified to judge. Oh yeah, me. <laughs> but I choose not to judge. I choose not to condemn her. And Jesus turns to this woman. I mean, can you imagine the state this poor woman is in now? You, you just got caught in the act of adultery. We ain't got time for me to paint the picture, right? Probably don't need to. Caught in the act, she's probably pulling her dress that's torn and she's, she's a mess physically, emotionally wrecked and on top of that she's like got five minutes to live she's about to die, can you imagine the state she's in and she how, how neither do I condemn you they did, but they're gone. I don't condemn you. I could, but I don't. I mean, this woman, she's just going through a range of emotions. I mean, I, was, I nearly said something. I, I, I would have got myself in trouble for saying it. It was going to be something like, ladies can tend to be a bit more emotional than men. If, if that was me, I would have been busted. Jesus says to her, I don't condemn you, but wait a minute. Before you walk off and go and do what you just did again, he says to her, says, go and sin no more. See? There's the truth. He didn't minimize the seriousness of her sin, but he showed her what? He showed her grace. He showed her grace. The law came through who? Through Moses, Exodus 20. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
Not just truth, but what? Grace and truth. In this we see the goodness and the severity of God. Grace. This is the second principle that we identify. We need truth to show us where we've fallen, but we need grace to gently pick us up again. Micah chapter 7 verse 8. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. I'm on the floor and I'm busted. But when I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Wow. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Full of. Not just full of. It didn't even have full of grace and truth. Romans 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned, reminding us again, and fall short of the glory of God. But look at that. Verse 24, being justified. How? Freely. How? By His grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For God set Him before the world to be by the shedding of his blood, a means of reconciliation through faith. Hebrews 4.16, verse that we know quite well. Let us therefore come out. Sheepishly. That's the temptation, isn't it? When you realise how sinful you are, when I realise how sinful I am, I can't do this. That's why it takes, it takes, it takes God to overwhelm me you with grace to convince you to convince me that we can come boldly it's the, other, it's the other extreme of the range of emotions that we have to come boldly to the throne of grace it's not a throne of judgment sometimes we think about a throne in that sense don't we but you can come to you, know, you can come to you can come to the king's throne You can, you can come, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Like Aslan, like... <laughs> I mean, you, you, don't, you don't mess around with lions. I'm saying, but that's one side to him. It's like two sides of the same coin. What's the other side? It's another screen. It's the Lamb of God. Oh my gosh, that lamb, you just want to go and pick him up. And stroke them and hold them and squeeze them. You don't want them to get bigger. <laughs> like a kitten, right? You just want it to stay like, like a puppy. Just stay like that. That that is the king on the throne, and you're invited. I'm invited to come to that throne. He's, and he's he's not just the king, he's the king of kings, he's the king of the universe. Yet we can come boldly to that throne that we may obtain mercy and find, look, more grace to help us in our time of need. Anybody needy this afternoon? You may have come in and not even realised that you're needy. Hopefully you're getting to the point where you're, mm, 
maybe I've got maybe one or two needs. <laughs> we can we? The third principle is what? It's time. What a beautiful what a beautiful collection of time. According to Jesus, the woman caught in act of adultery deserves stoning, but he chose not to condemn her. And along with forgiveness, he also gave her time, didn't he? He says, go. What? Really? I can walk away without receiving a penalty that I did. Really? You yeah, go. Because here is a second chance. You've now got time to change. You've got time to look back on where you've been and go in another direction. Time. Go, Jesus says, and sin no more. That's encouraging. Second Peter 3 says, But oh, beloved, it's lovely how he starts that. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. Don't joke with God. God don't get it twisted. <laughs> the Lord is not slack concerning His promises of some kind of slackness. He's true to His word. But He's long-suffering towards us. Not willing that any should perish. You know the definition for long-suffering? Suffering long. <laughs> and that's what God does with us. So that's what you do with your kids, parents. Not true? Yes. Or do we put them out? <laughs> oh, we're always tempted to. I know, oh my gosh, I've got two teenagers. It's <sighs> another story for another day. But you've got to be long suffering, man. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you've got to suffer long as a parent. You know what? I don't know if you're a teenager. I'll just tell it anyway, right? Um, there's a story that my mum, it's not even a story, it's a, it's a saying. Now, my mum's from Jamaica. You probably heard from Sister Angela. We've got a real heart for Jamaica. And um, we've been doing missions trips back and forth. And um, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a big story. And I'm sure most of you are aware of, of, of this story, particularly with Sister Angela, Brother Michael. Um, now, my mum's from Jamaica. And there's a saying in Jamaica. And it's with regards to young people not really fully understanding and think they know everything. Now, every teenager thinks they know everything. And um, this is saying, and it goes like this. I have to paint it like this, because when I say it, it may not make no sense to you, but here we go. Pig set a hog. Now, pig is the baby piglet, and hog is the big mother hog, big pig. Right, so, pig, so, pig set a hog. Mummy. Hold your moat so long. Right? Do I need to interpret that? Would you get that? Alright. So Pig said to her, Mommy, how come your moat so long? Your snout so long? And the big mommy pig said to the little pig, You are grow, you will know. <laughs> Meaning, the explanation, I can tell it to you, but you ain't going to get it. How you're going to get it is by experience. And that's one of the things I teach my kids. I say, you know, you learn in this life one of two ways. You either learn by instruction 
which is the wise way to learn, or you learn by experience. Either way, you will learn. And I tell that story in conjunction with this whole thing about long suffering. And God as a father with us is long suffering. Time. Time. Back to verse 7 of our text. It says, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree. For three minutes? For three days? For three months? For three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Verse 8. But he answered and said to him, It's the other guy, Sir, let it alone this year also. What, another year? Yeah, please. Give it another chance. Give it some more what? Time. Until I dig around it and fertilize it. See, we need truth. We need grace. But we also need time. The vine dresser does all that he can. Can you see that? But then, the responsibility of the tree is now to do something. And a tree is one of the ultimate examples of the believer. It speaks clearly of unselfishness. How many of you, how many of you have ever seen a tree eating its own fruit? <laughs> See, that's what you're supposed to be as a Christian. Yeah? A tree's reason for existing is not to provide it for itself. It's to provide for others. Now, what type of fruit that is produced is another message in itself. But for the time being, may the Lord help us to understand the process. Past, present and future, we all struggle. I have been, I am at the moment, and I'm sure I will be in the future, frustrated by my own shortcomings. I very often feel unsatisfied. Not with you, but with myself. You know, I've known my wife Helen, you saw a picture of her. For nearly half my life. We've been married this month, 27 for this month, 22 years. Um, and let me tell you, it's taken a long time, but I can honestly say that I'm not the man that I want to be, but by the grace of God, I'm not what I, I, I I'm not what I used to be. And all because of a wonderful combination of truth, grace, and time. Three vital ingredients to help us come to the point of fruit bearing. Verse 9, as we wrap up. It says, give it another chance. And if it bears fruit, well, good, fantastic. See, that's the aim. John 15, 16, Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. That's beautiful. I chose you and I put, you think I don't know? It's like Moses. Lord, you can't send me to Egypt. I can't even speak to you like Oh, what am I going to do? My goodness, I didn't realise that you can't speak to me. It's like, duh. You know what I'm saying? It's like, Jesus says, I chose you. If you're saved, I cho he says, I chose you. And, it'd be enough for him to just say, I chose you. It'd be enough for him to just say, I forgive you. Imagine walking out of court, right? Having gone into court, like, guilty. Like, I'm not even going to... Like, the brief for you, know what I'm saying? Your solicitor says... What are we going to do? You're like, I'm going to plead not guilty. He says, forget it. 
You'd be like, fam, the, the, the case is stacked against you. You ain't, got no, you ain't got no chance. You know what I mean? Walks into the court, you're like, guilty. And then the judge says, hmm, looking at the. You're free to go up. Ten hours community service. What? I just murdered half of South London, right? What? <laughs> And you walk out the court knowing that you're guilty and you walk out free. You know what that feels like? I'm going into Brixton Prison on the 24th of, of, of this month. And we constantly see um, Brother Andrew, somebody who worked in prisons. And I'm saying, see guys who have committed crime. There's nothing like being in front of a, of a, a captive audience. <laughs> they know, they know they're guilty. And they know they are where they're supposed to be up because of what they've done. Imagine. You go into court and you're let out and you're free, knowing that you're guilty. You come out. How many of you know? You notice things like the sun is shining. You're like, oh, it smells so sweet. You just have a different, you have a different appreciation for life, right? I'll be like, Jesus, if all Jesus did was forgive me and I got to walk free and no judgment, that would be blessed. <laughs> but I'm walking free from the court thinking I deserve judgment and I'm free. And then someone taps me on the shoulder and says, Where are you going? Like, I don't know, but I know I ain't going to jail. You know what I mean, where are you going? Why don't, why don't you come to my house? You go and you find out, oh, Buckingham Palace. What? Why don't, you just, why don't you just take room 2015? Why don't you just have that room? <laughs> have the room? Yeah. How, for how long? Mm, just have it. It's yours for eternity. Hmm? I mean, I can take a lot of time to help us to appreciate what we have in Christ. I'm saying, if all he did was forgive us, but he says, no, Lord, I chose you and I appointed you. There's so much more that we have in terms of what God has done for us in Christ on the cross. He says, now I want you to go and bear fruit. That's his desire, see? Bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That's God's desire for you and for me. And it's the good it's the goodness of God that leads to what? This repentance that we're talking about. You ain't gonna repent if God is holding like a, a desert eagle, I don't know, holding a P90. And I'm saying, right by your, any of you guys play Call of Duty. I don't play Call of Duty, my son plays. It's P90, he's one of them guns on Call of Duty, right? P90, right at your temple. And says you repent. I mean, you, you repent, right? I mean, if he says to you dance, you dance, right? But you're not doing it because you want to, you're doing it because you have to. But this is different. This is God saying, you know what? Lavishing you with with mercy and forgiveness and grace that you don't deserve. And the Bible says it's not God holding a gun to your head that leads to repentance. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, well, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, and what? long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? My gosh. I mean, anybody that turns their back on this deserves judgment. Come on now. 
covenant this up. Verse 9 of our text. And if it bears fruit, well, good. But if not, after all of that, you know what? You have a right to cut it down. No one could argue. And to conclude, there are implications for not bearing fruit, my friends. Luke chapter 3, verse 7 to 9, our last verse. John the Baptist said, You brood of snakes, you reptilian sneaks, says in another translation. <laughs> See, just like their dad, the great serpent, Satan, you, who warned you to flee from, these are a wicked set of people, the Pharisees you were speaking to, right? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Because you know what? Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Judgment is impending. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Here we see the goodness and the severity of God. Question is this afternoon. Which side of him will you embrace? Shall we pray? Dear Lord God, thank you for helping us to understand your heart through your word, the scriptures. Same scriptures say, blessed is the man that walks not after the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his or her delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it do they meditate day and night. That man, that woman, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, who will bring forth its fruit in its season, and its leaves will never wither, and everything they touch there, they put their hands to will prosper. They will bear fruit in season, even out of season. Father, we want to be that type of tree. We want to be that type of person that bears fruit. Like the Lord Jesus says, much fruit and fruit that will remain. Our desire is that you come and attend to us as trees and be pleased. And you only deserve that because of the overwhelming goodness and grace that you've shown us. Thank you. We praise you. Because of the Lord Jesus. Would you stand with me for language even? Um, would you stand with me, please? Um, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Shall we say the grace together? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen. Amen. I think we're going to sing to the Lord now. Yeah.